0: This is the Scott Bradley Show Podcast.
1: Joining me to chat about some of the people who we have lost this year, JC Villamere is a Hamilton-based pop culture writer. You may remember she's been on this show before. We loved having her. She's the author of Is Canada Even Real? How a Nation Built on Hobos, Beavers, Weirdos, and Hip-Hop Convinced the World to Believe. JC joins us again. JC, how are you? Happy, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Merry Boxing Day, all the rest.
2: Mm, same to you, Scott. Thanks so much for having me on. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to you and to all your listeners.
1: Why do we not have, by the way, a good greeting for Merry Boxing Day? I'm, I'm trying to figure that out. We don't, we, I mean, it's the happy only one. Happy
2: Boxing Day. You know, Merry happy Boxing Day.
1: Aggressive Boxing Day to you? I don't know if that's the right one. Uh, I feel
2: like it, it really needs a, more more than a greeting, a secret handshake. That, that would be good. Like Maybe we're about to fight, you know, we could really psycho you know.
1: Well, put You put your credit card in the palm of your hand and shake hands so you scratch your credit card or something. That would be, I don't know. We're, we can come up with some ideas in time. I mean, your book had lots of creativity. We we'll, we'll figure something out. <laughs> this year, uh, now, first of all, before we carry on with this, this was nothing, thankfully, like 2016, where apparently almost every celebrity died. Uh, if everyone remembers, it was like every day we were having somebody uh, go, and that was... So 2017, thankfully, was nothing like that. However, JC, we did, and you've written about the Canadian culture, we did have a lot of important people, sadly, going. Let's go down the list of some of these people and and talk about what their impact was, some more serious than others, but all of it significant, I think, starting with the very first one, who, again, I think most people would say probably not the most impactful as far as earth-shaking, but man, his impact was significant. That was Monty Hall.
2: Absolutely. I mean, people who watched him host the original uh, let's Make a Deal. Man, I had to budget my screen time as a child, and I only got an hour and a half to watch TV. And I spent an hour on Days of Our Lives and a half an hour <laughs> every day on Let's Make a Deal. And those are choices I stand by. I would make that choice again today. There's some—I mean, the show was ridiculous and hilarious. Monty Hall kind of was it on the joke. But as I got older and uh, and looked back on, you know, the figure that Monty Hall is in in American pop culture is. What is magical about him is Americans don't know he's Canadian,
1: right? And he's like he
2: snuck in, you know. They mm-hmm. they had no idea. Well, and you the know, thing when is, the, when the internet came out and people were able to find out who's actually Canadian, people were shocked. Shocked that Monty Hall is Canadian, and we, unfortunately, we lost him this year along with his um, award-winning TV producer wife, Marilyn Hall, who also passed away this year, sadly.
1: What he did with Let's Make a Deal, I mean, he and the producers for sure, but what he did, he really, game shows up until that point had been supposed to be fun, but were pretty staid and pretty stoic, and you're right, he kind of made it in a proper way, kind of ludicrous, which was good. It made for great television. It changed a lot of what game shows became.
2: When you Ellen's game show debut this January, and it's a goofy, physical, hilarious, playful trivia show, I think uh, people will realize that it was, that kind of game show, that kind of entertaining game show, uh, owes a lot to Monty Hall and to the work he did on uh, Let's Make a Deal, because it was entertaining on a different level.
1: A completely different TV star uh, someone who around the same age as him but completely different as far as what she did on television Uh, Betty Kennedy was for I think 33 years the lone female panelist on front page challenge now this was um, I mean this was serious I, I mean I this was even before probably before both yours and my time Uh, But this was a significant, significant show in Canadian television as far as introducing a lot of people to celebrities that they might not otherwise have seen on television, among other things.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Such an important show and such an important place in culture for her. And I think a lot of uh, Canadians uh, can identify with, uh, you know, how much it impacts you when you see someone who looks like you on television. And she was doing that for an entire gender, for an entire generation of Canadians and really is a a trailblazer. And uh, it's especially important, you know, um, when people do pass, it gives us one more chance to really uh, reflect on their place in culture and things that pioneers like her have achieved.
1: Well, and again, you talk about her gender. I mean, it was a big deal because she was on there with men, Pierre Burton and others, who were considered the real heavyweights of Canadian journalism, right? Yes. and she held her own, and I think probably demonstrated to an awful lot of people that that was possible. Which shocking. I mean, it would seem shocking to think that now, but back then, that was a that was a shock to some people.
2: And it's important to be reminded of that, and that's that you know, it hasn't, wasn't that long ago that. Uh, That would seem very progressive. And, you know, if that's a value that we share, we need to work to protect that.
0: You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML.
1: Continuing our conversation with JC a Hamilton-based pop culture writer, author of Is Canada Even Real? How a Nation Built on Hobos, Beavers, Weirdos, and Hip-Hop Convinced the World to Believe. you got to read that book, by the way. It's a terrific book. Uh, we are chatting about some, speaking of Canadians, some Canadian legends that we lost in 2017. And JC, I know that one of the names that comes to the top of your list uh, is someone we lost two or three months ago, I guess, maybe a little longer than that, Stuart McLean. Talk about Stuart McLean and what, uh, why he was so significant.
2: Well, I know I join a lot of fellow Hamiltonians in feeling like this Christmas was a little bit different and a little bit Uh, More melancholy this year because we didn't have a stop from the Stuart McLean Christmas uh, tour this year like we had so many years past. And uh, I've attended with my family over the years in Hamilton and also around the province, you know, wherever I'm living because he goes um, to so many big and small towns and has a way to connect them. Um and so, for many families who who held that as a tradition, or who enjoyed um his Christmas stories on his uh weekly c b c radio show the vinyl cafe uh it, it was a bittersweet Christmas without him the first one um without someone who's who's a you know a regular guest in their homes
1: why i mean lots of places lots of people are able to tell funny stories and communicate what made him unique
2: He, he had a real humble sensibility. Uh, I think that a lot of Canadians identified with. Uh, I think he reflected back at many of us an idealized sense of ourselves that we aspire to, but in a, a really folksy, accessible way. Um, he was an award-winning humorist uh, who got a start, you know, on the CBC program. I think Morningside, He worked with Pieczkowski, uh, who who shared that gentle sense of humor, um, and I know he just had built up such a huge fan base and following. Uh, through from the 90s on until until uh, he passed this year, um, that he'll be sorely missed. He's a, a three at least three-time winner of the Stephen Leacock Medal for Humor, Canada's um, most prestigious award for humor writing, and uh, and his holiday stories especially um, are a tradition I think for a lot of Hamiltonians and Canadians.
1: Yeah, I, I had him actually as a journalism prof when I went to Ryerson. Never got the comedy side when when he was teaching us. Uh, that you know he was a great teacher, but I, I would have loved it if he just sat there and told us stories. That that would have been a lot easier. But oh you know, my
2: goodness, what a wonderful experience! Oh my goodness, I'd love to hear more about that sometime. Uh,
1: down the list, a name that probably is not as familiar to some people, and I don't even—I mean, I'm assuming it's familiar to you because he has the rare. Uh, Resume item of being, I think, the well, other than Martin Short, the only cast member ever to be on SCTV and Saturday Night Live, a, a Canadian guy, Tony Rosado. What do you know? Do you remember, do you even remember Tony Rosado?
2: Yeah, one of only three actors ever to be cast both on Saturday Night Live. and oh, was it three? Okay. SCTV. Um, so, really, uh, you know, a comic actor who really uh, established himself. I mean, between those credentials alone, it's a wonderful career.
1: Yet, weirdly, and, though, not as well known as you would might have expected. Someone who had that kind of legacy.
2: It's true, yeah. Um, and but he has passed away relatively young. Uh, he was born in 1954. Um, you know, so that's he has, has certainly um, would have had potentially a longer career out
1: ahead of him as well. One A name that a lot of people may know, may not know, because not everybody watched his show or his station, but a guy named David Mainz, who was the guy behind uh, Hunter Huntley Street. Now, this is religious broadcasting. Again, not everybody would have, but he was a guy who came along and was doing this, especially earlier on when the Bakers were in their scandals, and there was all kinds of televangelist scandals, and this guy somehow in this area, based in Burlington, remained absolutely squeaky clean.
2: And has remained relevant and thrived. Uh, he's really hit on something that people respond to, and I think it's a wonderful local success story. Um, you yeah, know, it's it's uh, you know it's people like that, and also you know the loss of a longtime McMaster leader Peter George. Yes, I think that is another you know one that we really feel, uh, especially locally. Uh, he served three terms as president and vice chancellor of McMaster University. Um, he had been retired for. Boy, a
1: few years, eight, seven, seven, yeah,
2: six or seven years. No, um, but as such a familiar face to so many in the community over the years, and oversaw just a period of major growth for McMaster as well in terms of um, not just his size and the city in terms of its footprint, but also um, I think as uh, the reputation of the school uh, nationally and internationally with the research that. that um, you know was undertaken
1: under and both of them very very understated yeah both of them very understated uh okay we have 30 seconds and i hate to do this in 30 seconds because there's no way you can do this in 30 seconds i acknowledge that but we can't not talk about Gore Downey because that really probably if you put the list together he would be number one he would be the first name you would probably think of
2: Absolutely. And it's important to point out to people that Leonard Cohen passed in 2016, November 2016. I didn't want anyone to think that we will be overlooking <laughs> Leonard Cohen. True. Um, but, uh, you know, for 2017, uh, in terms of a newsmaker who has impacted uh, arts and entertainment uh, as well as politics um, and inspired so many and, and drawn so many Canadians together through the arts, um, you cannot, you can't, there's nothing bigger or more than Gord Downey
1: canadians it is uh, it was it was an unbelievable story just the amount of outpouring whether you're a tragically hip fan or not and this is the funny thing and i were that many tragically hip fans at the start of the year but by the end of the year there clearly was and clearly whatever had happened uh with that story he had been able to resonate in a way that uh, even that band with its success before had not been able to do uh jc villamere Uh, Again, you can find her book, Uh, Is Canada Even Real? It's a terrific, it's a funny book, it's a relevant book for Canadians. Appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this.
2: My pleasure. A real delight to talk to you, and uh, such a great time to talk
1: between the holidays.
0: You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML.
1: Have you set foot outside today? If you have, you know what it means when Luke, during the news break, during the weather break there, I mean just a moment ago, said it is minus 28 tonight. That's what we're expecting, minus 28. Think about that for a second. It is flippin' cold. I, don't, I think I'm allowed to say flipping on the radio. That's flipping cold. That is really, really cold. Well, it's not going to get much better because by the time we get around to New Year's, uh, we're still expecting something in the neighborhood of minus 20, which again falls into the category of flipping cold. Well, that brings me to my next guest. Trent Courage is one of the founders of the annual polar bear dip, he's been doing this for 32 years, and will be doing it again this January first. Trent, um, I got to tell you, I've always thought you guys were a little bit nuts. Now I am absolutely convinced that you are a little bit nuts.
3: Yeah, perhaps a little bit. <laughs> listen, it's, it's, uh, it's not so. It's, it's going to be minus 28. You said, you know, that's minus true. 20 or so. Minus so it's 20.
1: Not that bad. No, that's. I mean, but when you compare the two, it sounds almost balmy when January first rolls around.
3: Yeah, it's definitely bathing suit weather for that
1: minus one. <laughs> uh, Trent Courage, as they say, one of the founders of the Oakville Annual Polar Bear Dip. Um, Trent, is there such a thing as too cold for this event?
3: Uh, we've never had any form of cancellation in the past, and we have had uh, minus 20s before uh, with wind chill. Uh So just a, you just need to be a little bit more prepared than, than usual if it's just usually hovering around 1 or zero or whatever degree type of thing so you need to be prepared as a dipper to stay warm prior to your your jump in the water that's going to be the most critical part Uh, staying warm right up to that actual moment where you jump in the water and everything should be fine
1: let's go back to the beginning for this for a second because what was it like do you remember what the conditions were like the very first year you guys did this
3: uh you know, it, they all kind of bleed in a little bit, but I do remember that first day thinking it was, as you put it, flipping cold. <laughs> uh, there's no question you can't you can't deny it. Every year, uh, going into that water, the water temperature is always approximately the same, which is you know hovering around that uh, one, two, three degree uh, water. So a lot of it uh, it just depends on the, the type of wind chill. But that very first one, yeah, there you know there was snow, there was ice. Uh, you know, I. My mother was the one who who started by forcing my myself and my brother to jump in the water, and to, I'm not sure I've ever really forgiven her for that. Uh, but um, but it, something has something came out about the whole thing. So.
1: Do you that first time? Do you remember wondering what in the world you were doing though?
3: <laughs> uh, I do remember one thing. I, I might have had a slightly cloudy head from the night before, and I remember as I as I was emerging back out. Wow, do I feel amazing. And that's one of the things that people say that uh, as you go in, there's a little bit of uh, excitement for some people, perhaps dread, but uh, mostly excitement. And then as you come back out, you just feel completely exhilarated. Uh, there's no question that your body goes through a lot of different things. You hyperventilate. You feel in your feet like pins and needles and that type of thing. But as you're emerging and, and your your buddy uh, wraps you up with a, a blanket, you start to get warm, you just you feel like a million bucks. You feel unbelievable
1: why did you guys decide to start doing it that first time what was it that spawned this idea and made you think this would be a really good thing to do
3: well you know you typically you know listen to your mother and and that's really what it was she you know she had suggested that we uh jump in the water uh get off the sofa go jump in the water cleanse ourselves for the new year Uh, It was something of a, of a Scandinavian thing that she had done in the past. And, and it was, you know, just, you know, why not something to do, just go jump in the water and you'll feel better. And, you know, that type of thing. So really it didn't have a whole lot of, uh, of, uh, meaning beyond just, you know, stop being lazy. Um, and, and that's sort of where it went from there.
1: Did you, has, since then, has your mother ever joined you since it was her good idea? Has she ever come in with you?
3: In all fairness, she joined us on the very first one, oh. and uh, she she was with us uh, last year as well. Uh, this has become a multi generational family thing for for ourselves. So I've got three kids. Uh, my brother uh, has three kids as well, and then my mother. We go in uh, every year. Typically, when my mom is a little bit older. Uh, you know, for, for somebody who should be going in, as we say, you know, we're trying to be nice to her and like what she was like to us, uh, those 33 years ago, but, uh, she, you know, one year, she was, uh, about four years ago, she was just standing at the beginning, pretending to be one of our spotters. So basically somebody to have a blanket for you and all that. And just as we're doing the countdown, she just starts to disrobe to her, her bathing suit. She'd planned to go in the whole time. So yeah, she's a little bit, uh, she's a little on the wacky side as well. She likes to, to jump in. Um, we never know if she's gonna go in every every given year, but uh she yeah, she's quite the trooper.
1: That first year, was it just the three of you or did you have a crowd with you?
3: Yeah, we, we had a bit of a crowd. We had some uh friends that were over from, from the night before and uh yeah, so there's probably about uh, eight of us and uh yeah, just decided uh, to, to go ahead and do it. And uh we as, as she encouraged us to do it, we said there's you know, there's no way we're gonna go in without you, you know, coming with us and she was like, Well, absolutely I'm gonna go in with you guys. So that's, uh, yeah, it was just a very small crowd of, of about uh, eight people. And then, you know, uh, we're, in, we're in the vicinity of uh, over 800 people jumping in the water on, on a given year. Thousands of spectators. It's uh, a family friendly event. We've got live music and costume contests. And it's qu- quite a festival type of feel to the whole event now as compared to the, those early
0: years, for sure. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML.
1: Scott Radley show on 900 CHML, continuing our conversation with Trent Courage, co-founder of the Oakville Polar Bear Dip. That would actually be very good advice, that song, uh, if you're going to be in the water. Stay moving, I'm thinking, is probably a really good uh, piece of advice. Is it, Trent?
3: Definitely moving around is a, is absolutely great advice. And not only that, a lot of people call jumping into the water, uh, polar bear dip. So yeah, jump, jump to keep warm and then jump in the water. Absolutely.
1: You said you started this uh, with eight people that first time, 32, 33 years ago, and you're now up to 800. How, how does that grow that much? Because it's, you've obviously had massive success at this. How does that happen?
3: Well, you know, in, in fairness, when, when, uh, my brother and myself, uh, along with our mother and, and a few friends jumped in the water that very first time, it was there was no real anticipation that we were going to do anything, you know, grand with it. It was just something that we did, and then it was like, hey, that was fun. We should do that again. We should do that next year, and it it grew some legs. Just general, uh, you know, just people talking about it and that sort of thing. But it, it it's incredible how the human nature is is so giving on a lot of levels, and I think a lot of people realize that that you know we're very fortunate where we live. In, in uh, Canada, we have uh, so many great things. We have social services. We have access to clean water, which is what our whole event is is really uh, centered around now at this point. But as we, it starts to gain some momentum, uh, we we thought we really need get, to get a charity involved. And um, so what we did is we partnered up with uh, World Vision Canada. And uh, when we did that, we... Uh, felt the water for water would be a great idea. We're jumping in water to provide clean water uh, for people across the world in developing countries. So with that, you know, again, going back to the human nature, I think a lot of people took that and they said, you know, we could do something good with this. So, yeah, I'll jump in the water for that. So there's some people who do it for, you know, bucket list reasons. Some people do it for just the the sake of something to do on New Year's Day. What else are you going to do? There's not a lot going on. You know, go jump in the water. Why not? It's a little bit crazy. But then there's some people who just do it for the sheer uh, purpose of giving, so they helped to raise money, and, and this all goes to World Vision Canada, which inevitably brought us to the point where, 30, uh, three years later, we uh, we've raised uh, almost one point six million dollars for World Vision Canada, and with that, uh, you know, the internet was another big part of it. You know, we got polarbeardip.ca. dot ca. I, you know, I can't even remember back when we first got that website. But my brother and I run a company together. We we Purchase a website for our company at the same time, hey, might as well get a website and let's create something. But I can't give enough, uh, uh, I guess, kudos to the volunteers. Without all of this, you, you can't do it all unless you have volunteers. And that's good the good human nature that people have again. So as more and more people climb on board... And then social media comes into play as as you know, evolu- uh, you, as it's evolved over over the past ten years, more and more people find out about it. So that's how the numbers have grown, just by the sheer organization of it. The volunteers we make this a very very fun event. It's not just about jumping in the water. It's family friendly. We have live music. We have costume contests. So it's it's become uh, very much not just uh, uh, an Oakville thing. Uh, but it's extended uh, right across, uh, you know, South central Ontario. And then we have people coming in from all over. We just got named as one of the 10 uh, top destinations to, to be at uh, in North America for New Year's, Oakville, Ontario. Could you ever imagine just a small town? You know, they don't mention, hey, go to, you know, Toronto for for something, but specifically Oakville. So, you know, with all that, it's just uh, it's grabbed uh, a lot of attention and uh, it's gotten a lot of legs.
1: And I guess one of the things about this that's I assume is there's no limit to how many people you could you could have there, right? I mean you could you yeah. could make this as big as you want, really.
3: Yeah, it's it's one of those things where you get some people that repeat uh, doing it, which is one and so if you get more and more people adding on, so the the numbers do grow, you could in essence go to 8 9,000 1200 moving forward into larger numbers. The things that that become limiting are we do need to make sure that the event is very safe. So there's a certain amount of space on the beach that you have. So what we did, you know, when we were doing about, you know, 150 to 200 people, we were able to do one big wave of people just, you know, running in. And one year, there was so much ice that got built up, we had about 20 people working on the, the ice the morning of just to try to make a passageway of 20 feet into the water. So we couldn't have... 300 people running into the water through a 20-foot space. So we kind of had 10 and 15 people running out at a time, going in, coming back. And so, you know, sometimes you have to adapt the, to the situations. But uh, last year, uh, with the numbers that we had, we had about 250 to 300 people in at a time. We had three major waves of people going out huh. into the water. So, yeah, we, you know, we're, we're I guess, bound by the amount of, uh, you know, each space that we have and and keep it all safe and, and all that. But at the same time, who's to say you can't do it multiple ways, which is why we started out home. Well,
1: What is the ice situation like this year? There's got to be some.
3: Well, you know, it, we, <laughs> we go down there every day. I'll, you know, I'll be honest with you, it's, it's one of those things where we do always have a concern with that. And there hasn't been anything too major. We have, as mentioned, upward of uh, 50 volunteers the day of. Uh, and then we have a bunch of volunteers prior to that. So we'll be down there tomorrow. We'll be breaking up some ice, uh, trying to get it to to you know, go out a little bit further, maybe down, down the beach, and uh, we'll continue to do that. And then the morning of, there's just a lot of effort that's put into making it uh, accessible. So, yes, there has been some ice buildup. Not the worst we've seen, which is nice. Uh, we have seen one time we had a, a shelf of... Uh, but 15 feet high of ice that we had to kind of hmm. mandate around not so ideal not ideal uh that was also when we had smaller numbers uh, so as the, as the numbers grow and the number of people coming out we have to you know adapt in different ways but you know it, it's it's incredible the, the number of, like i said volunteers that you know we get their friends family but also we have a volunteer for tab on our polarbeardip.ca website and uh you know, a lot of people, we get a ton of people from, from World Vision coming out to help out uh, the Trent, day of for registration and all that, too.
1: Trent, I only have 10 seconds, unfortunately. We're pinched for time, but oh, uh, time absolutely. and place for this. If someone, they can go to the website for sure, but time and place for this.
3: Time and, time and place. Coronation Park in Oakville. Festivities start with live music at 12.30. The jump, dump uh, into the water is right at 2 o'clock. Again, Coronation Park, Oakville. Uh, go go register online in advance at polarbeardiff.ca.
1: Trent Courage, appropriately named last name. Uh, we really appreciate you doing this. Thanks very much. Good luck on, on New Year's Day.
0: Thank you very much, Scott. appreciate your time. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML.
1: Would you go? I want to find out from you out there who are listening. Is this something you would do? Would you, Maybe you have done this. Would you go polar bear dipping? Is this something that would appeal to you? And if whether it is, whether it isn't. What is the stupidest thing you've ever done? We've got a few minutes here. And when I say stupidest, I don't necessarily mean that it's not something you should do. There would just be people that would say, you know what, on a, on a scale of adventurous slash wacky things, that would be up there. We've all done some things. I'll tell you, there's been a few that I've done in the course of my life that would probably qualify as that, that weren't necessarily something that I would... Well, if I knew what I was doing, maybe that would be the that's the key. See, if you go to a polar bear dip and there's people there that can help you, like Trent and the other organizers, that's a lot better than just going to the lake by yourself, I suppose, and running in. In fact, that's a lot better. Don't do that. Don't do that by yourself. They don't even they won't even know you're gone. Go where there are people because years ago I rode a small bull in a rodeo. That was not a good plan. That was, in fact, now that was with people around, but that was, a, that was a bad idea. That was a very bad idea. I didn't realize my body could fly as high off the back of an angry piece of future steak as it could. I mean, that was a really, it sounded cool at the time. I wanted to be tough, not well-conceived. Just like the days when we used to go skiing up at Horseshoe Valley in the days of the crazy Canucks. Remember Steve Podborski and Ken Reed and those guys, Todd Brooker? And we would always watch them doing their skiing and they would just go into their tuck and tuck the poles under their arms and get low and go straight down the hill as fast as they could. See, that works really well when you're the only skier on a course that is designed for that kind of behavior. Not when there are pleasure skiers doing moguls and nice soft carvings and here I come. No chance to stop. If someone cut in front of me, it was blammoville and that happened more. than. And, and if we could find a jump, all the better. Get as fast as you can get going and then hit the jump. And generally, it became like a yard sale. There'd be a ski over here and 700 yards down the hill, there'd be another ski and the goggles would be on a mogul somewhere in a pole, hopefully had not impaled yourself when you landed. We've all done those things, right? 905-645-3221 or star 9900, if you have one of those things that you would categorize as questionable. Questionable. See, every time I think of the polar bear dip, And again, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say this on the radio. I assume I am because the show was broadcast on public TV, but I have that, that episode of Seinfeld go through my head where George Costanza goes swimming in the cold water and there's shrinkage. That's all that comes to mind when I think of the polar bear dip is, Ooh, that, that does not sound too enticing. What have you done? What is your thing that you've done that you look back on and you say, you know, for better or for worse, that was maybe not as well thought out as I would have liked to have. I'd like to have a second go at the thinking process behind that before I did it again. That one, that didn't seem like it was the time on our street that we, do you remember the game kick the can and you would use a, like a soccer ball or something, except we actually used a real can that had been bent in half so that there were jagged points to it and of course me being the guy who whenever everyone else would do the same thing it would they it would be fine but when i would do it something would go wrong so i kicked the can directly into one of the other kids forehead slicing him open for stitches i would have liked to have been able to think through that one a little bit better not one of the shining moments not one of the shining moments of life we've all had these things i'm sure I'm not sure. Ben, would you go Would you go into a polar bear dip? Ben is behind the phone. Ben is going to be taking the quiz question calls in a few minutes. Would you jump in the water for a polar bear dip? Absolutely. You would. That's not something that would bother you? Nope. Not even close. I don't like getting into the shower unless it's already at a warm temperature. That, that initial step in when it's still not up to speed is not to my liking. I'm thinking that a polar bear dip is probably not something that's perfect for me. See, that's the nice part about jumping is you don't have the decision anymore, then it's just all gravity and then cold. Uh, Frank says, by the way, he writes in, I'd rather jump on a, into a Florida beach during these days. I'm with you, Frank. I'm with you. I'm, I'm all for the warm ocean, maybe a hot tub. I, I will do rather than a polar bear dip from now on, we should have an offsetting event. Although I recommend this because it goes to a good cause, but let's have an offsetting hot tub dip. How many people can we cram into a hot tub? That would be something good, too. We will take the news break. Come back after this. By the way, if you have something that you've done that's really not bright, I'd love to hear about it. Radley at 900CHML.com that you want to share with the world.
0: You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900CHML.
1: Friday was not only a historic day around here, Uh, But it was, I don't think even arguably, it was inarguably the greatest day in women's hockey in the Hamilton-Burlington area that we've ever had. Because on Friday, Canada announced its national women's team that will be competing in Pyeongchang in the Olympics in a month and a half, give or take. And not one, not two, three local players will be making that trip and be playing for Canada, We will be wearing the Maple Leaf. That is an unbelievable thing, an unbelievable achievement, considering there's 23 women who are going, and three of them, and that's from across the country, three of them are from here. Uh, two of them join me now. Sarah Nurse. Oops, I just hung up on Sarah. Ben will call her back. have got to figure this out. Renata Fast joins me as well now. Renata, congratulations.
4: Thank you so much, Scott.
1: This is... Um, well how did you find out what was it what was it how did you learn that you were going to be going to korea uh
4: well we had individual meetings set up uh we knew the night before our times and i was the second last one to go on the list and when i walked into the coach's office there was four coaches uh sitting in their seats i sat down and almost instantly um the head coach uh she put her hand forward and she said, congratulations, you're going to the 2018 Olympics.
1: So you didn't have to suffer for too, too long in the room?
4: No, it was pretty much instant, which was very nice. <laughs>
1: but how long had you, because if you were, did you say second last? Yes. Second. That that must have though been a painfully long wait to find out that.
4: Yes, it was. <laughs> um, I only showed up to the rank about 10 minutes before my... Um, Median, which was nice, but it was still the longest 10 minutes of my life.
1: <laughs> what do you do in those t- I mean, are you, do you bother to start doing the math and asking around about who's made it or who hasn't, or is there any way even to find that out?
4: No, there's definitely no way to find that out. It was a pretty strict um, uh, route they had around the rink to make sure no one ran into each other and um, that no one was talking to each other about the news
1: uh sarah nurse now joins us as well we figured out how to get her on the air too thankfully sarah congratulations
5: hi thank you so much
1: uh we we're just chatting with renata about how you found out uh, she was the second last to learn where were you on the list of people who found out when you that you had made it
5: i think i was just before renata <laughs> i think i was the thing <laughs> yeah.
1: so you had to, you had to suffer too then for a while
5: yeah we had to suffer all morning <laughs> and and
1: for you was it Truly suffering I mean are you just Biting your fingers And waiting With like Almost in pain To find out
5: I would say The phase leading up To it was definitely worse, just because We still had some games um, Left to play And so you obviously want to be at your best in, um, in all those games. But I think that morning I was kind of like, well, this is, it's out of my hands now, and so whatever decisions the coach is going to make, they're going to make. And so I was kind of at peace a little bit.
1: Wow. Okay, so now, Renata, go back to you for a sec. Just to finish this, because you said there was a pass. So how did they do this? When you finished, you went out a different door so no one could find out anything?
4: Um, yep, they had kind of a U-shape in the building. So you came in one door, went through to the coach's office and then you came out a second door that way um yeah you would you wouldn't see anyone
1: (laughs) so when they said when she extended her hand and said congratulations how did you react what goes through your mind because this i know for every female hockey player in this country this is the top of the mountain this is what you've wanted for your whole life what Mm -hmm. goes through your mind
4: honestly i like froze up instantly um I didn't believe it at first my jaw dropped and I was just kind of staring at her and then once I kind of came back to reality I I stood up and I you know gave each of the coaches a handshake but um, I think it was a big a big relief and you know your dream finally coming true it was a really long process and it was a very challenging process Um, and to finally be rewarded and find out the good news it was um, it was so exciting.
1: Sarah what was your reaction when you heard what did you do?
4: Yeah, I think it took me a second to kind of clue in and make
5: sure my mind wasn't playing any tricks on me like they actually said what they just said. So, I think when they told me, I was just in shock and I was so excited to even get out of that meeting and go call my family.
1: Is that I mean, was that what you did first? Run out of there and grab the cell phone?
5: Yeah, absolutely. Um I told my mom that I'd had that meeting at what was it 11:20 that morning and so I know she was up worrying about it, so I called her right away.
1: <laughs> what, uh, but this is, uh, Sarah, this is, as I describe it, if you're a female hockey player, this is, this is everything you work for, right? There's no higher place. I mean, you can play pro in, in women's leagues, but this is what every single girl who puts on skates and plays hockey wants to do, correct?
5: Absolutely, because I think when you're, when you're a young girl, this is the thing that you watch on TV, and so this is ultimately what you aspire to do.
1: Renata, when did this start when did you actually start to think that you could do this? I mean, is this like within the last was this a ten year ago thing you thought, hey, I could make the Olympic team or is this really recent that you started to think that you might be a realistic candidate
4: mm-hmm. um I think it was a dream from a young age and it was a dream that was just kind of you know out there but i I never really like knew if I was going to reach it and I think it was really um within the last year that it kind of you know, it became a reality that I was in consideration, and, you know, it, it, it was it was a possibility, and if I worked hard enough, it could be there. Um, but I don't think it was, like, a 10-year thing where, I you know, I knew it was going to happen or I knew it was going to be a possibility. It was definitely more of a recent thing, and, uh, yeah.
1: Sarah, there are so many steps along the way to this, though. You've played at... How many age group teams have you played in now in the Hockey Canada program? Like, three or four at least, right? Yeah. So yeah. You've, been, you've been in the mix, and in the pipeline for this for a long time, does there ever come a point when you start to get a little confident that it's going to happen? Are you always thinking, oh, I don't know. I don't know if this could really happen for me.
5: Um, I don't think that I was confident in every level that I was going to get to this point. I think, you know, you take those steps and you're on that journey. But I think until you get to, to this step, the centralization process, that you kind of have to find your way and fit your way into um, the program and what's going on. So I don't think that, I was confident from, you know, that U18 or U22 age that I was going to make this team.
1: For people who don't know, Sarah, explain in brief what the centralization process is, how it works.
5: Yeah, so we got selected last May to um, a 28-player roster. And so we had to go through a boot camp in May. um, And then the 28 of us moved up to Calgary in August to start training full-time. And we play in a Midget Boys League all year uh, leading up to the Olympics. And from 28, they cut it down to 23 um, just last week. So it was awesome.
1: But as much as you've always wanted to do this, really then since May, and I mean you've been playing hockey consistently, but since May your life has entirely been consumed with making this team.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's been an amazing journey. You know, we get treated like professional hockey players for the year. All we have to do is kind of wake up, go to the gym, go practice, play a game, and then, you know, we're done for the night. There's no school. There's no you no know, part-time jobs after this. Um, it's just
1: strictly hockey. And Renata, I think I can ask you this now that you've made the team. I would have been hesitant to ask you this before, but
2: mm-hmm.
1: when you have been this consumed with making this team for so long, did it ever cross your mind about how devastating it would be if you didn't get that handshake?
4: Um, I think it's definitely something that crossed. Uh, my mind. And I think it crossed a lot of the athletes mind. Um, It's hard to not, but I think you have to find a balance of realizing that that's a possibility, but there's also another possibility. And if you're able to concentrate on the positives and the happy moments, um, it'll save you a lot of stress, I think.
1: But you guys played a lot of, uh, well, you've played a lot of games, and so and but especially you've played this series against the states, and you've played in tournaments, and you've done other things. I have to believe though that when you know how what the level of competition is, and that there's a possibility that you might not make it, every game must have just been almost gut churning. That if you did something great, you're saying, "Oh man, I hope they saw that." And if you make a mistake, you're going, "Oh, I hope they sneezed and didn't didn't notice that that just happened." I mean, it, every play must be just magnified.
4: Um, I think it is a bit, but once you get comfortable within the centralization process, you realize that it's a long journey and one mistake isn't going to cause you, uh, whether you're selected or not. And one play that you do very well, isn't going to cause you to make the team either. So, uh, it takes a little bit to understand that, but once you understand that, you realize that you just have to go out there and play your best.
1: You come from a family that has not had other people perform athletically at this level, correct?
4: Uh, yep. No, I'm, I'm the first.
1: You're the trailblazer. So, how, <laughs> so with that, without that background, without someone in the family necessarily knowing how this works, how do you navigate those waters? Even, not even necessarily physically, but you want to talk to people when things are going difficult or whatever else. How, how do you talk to your family when they don't really know what this is like?
4: Uh, I have like the greatest support system with my family and even though they haven't been there and haven't been to this level, they know exactly what I need in certain moments. So, you know, I think family is so important. um, So that's been a big part. But also my teammates, so lucky to have, you know, 28 girls throughout this process and they're all mentors and a lot of them have been through it before. So those are some easy people to talk to when you need some extra advice.
1: Sarah, now you're on the flip side. Everyone knows the nurse name and you are part of that nurse family and they all know about Darnell and Kia and Isaac, your brother who plays with the Bulldogs and on and on and on. So you're in a completely different situation for Fernanda. How does it help or does it help to have all that sports success in the family when you're going through this process?
5: I think it definitely helps. Um, I just think back to my cousin being at the Olympics and her going through her own journey. And so I guess just feeding off of her experiences and kind of learning of what she's done and, you know, Darnell giving me different advice and things like that, my brother working out with me, pushing me through the summer. So I think their support system's been amazing.
1: Is it hard, though? Like, sometimes I have to believe that there are times, as much as you're proud of the last name, that you would love for me not to ask that question and everyone else not to and to be able to just be... Just be Sarah and be able to be completely judged on your own merit. Is that fair?
5: Um, you know what? I think it's a common misconception. Just because it's kind of been happening my whole life, from when I was a small child, I was niece of, daughter of. You know, I've always been associated with my family's successes, and I'm extremely proud of that and all they've accomplished.
1: There is something unique about these Olympics that it makes it, I think, um, I think it's going to be especially good for you guys to be on this team. I know you're thrilled just for any reason, but with no NHL players going to the Olympics this year, has it dawned on you that there is probably going to be a lot more interest in the women's team and in the women's tournament this year than there might have been if Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid and all those guys were going to be there? Renata? I think
4: uh, for sure, I've I've thought about that but I think the men's side of the tournament is going to be very exciting as well but I think there will be some attention just because of the final game in the Olympics uh, in 2014 and how exciting that game was and how close it was people still talk about that to this day so I think a lot of people are excited about the rivalry between the women's side Um, but I think the men's side regardless of if the NHL players are there or not it's going to be um you know an amazing tournament for those guys and it's going to be very exciting
1: but we've seen with other sports in this country i mean our women's soccer team is vastly ahead ratings wise of our men's team and we saw with the world cup and with the olympics the last two olympics the women have become household names even more than the men's soccer players and the women's basketball team now we have a lot of nba players now but the women have had more success. They, a lot of them, have become household names. This is a, this is a unique opportunity, Sarah, for you guys to really, I think, again, to have a little more of the spotlight than you might have otherwise.
5: Yeah, I think um, there's been so much interest in women's hockey over the last few years, and so just the support um, that we get from all of the fans is, has been amazing and continues to be amazing. So I think, just although it's disappointing that all those NHLs uh, won't be there. I think it's
1: definitely a positive for us. There is, I haven't even mentioned her name, and that's an oversight. I I have to. Um, The third person who is going to be from this area playing for the Olympic team, of course, is Laura Fortino, who everyone knows got an assist to set up the golden goal in Sochi and uh, was, um, I, I would guess, Renata as much of a lock to make this team as anyone pretty much that was on the lineup. there was no chance Laura wasn't going to make it and you you're a defenseman like her you play her position. What is Laura's role now or how the players, especially the younger players how what's her position on this team now? I don't mean defensively I mean what role does she now have as a veteran and someone who has done it before?
4: Mm-hmm. Uh, Laura has a ton of experience. I was really fortunate to live with her. This past year and she was kind of a mentor for me throughout the centralization process so that was awesome but I think for the girls um, you know she brings a ton of energy to the rink every day she's extremely passionate Uh, she's so talented and I think all of us look up to her and um, you know we know that she's gonna be such a strong player out there and she's also someone really easy to talk to off the ice so she's definitely taken on more of a leadership role as she
1: goes into her sectional upset. The the fact that there was someone who came from this area who made it. Now we've had Becky Keller before who was from Hagersville. Uh, there have been others, but when you guys were coming along, Sarah, when you were thinking about making the team, does it make a difference if there's someone from your hometown, if there's someone from around here who made it? Does that make you believe more than you might otherwise?
5: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, Laura and I played with the same organizations growing up. And so I actually got to know her and her family uh, very well before the Olympics and things like that. So just seeing how she got to where she was um, was very inspiring for me coming from the same place as her um, and just being able to see that. So she's been an incredible role model for me.
1: So what now? You've had uh, Friday was the day you found out. So you've now had. That to celebrate, you got to come home and have Christmas. It's been, I'm sure, more than a whirlwind for both of you and for, well, probably more for Laura as well, but more for you two as first-timers. What now? What happens now? You head back to Calgary and then what?
5: Yeah, we're um, back to Calgary uh, tomorrow, I guess, and then we play uh, a couple more games against the boys' teams, and then, I mean, before we know it, next month we'll be off to Korea.
1: So, Renata, are you? Do you guys have to then like pack for two months? Now you're just gone from home for the next two months. You'll see your family at the end of February.
4: Uh, yep, <laughs> we have been since we've been centralized out in Calgary since August. That's kind of home right now, so everything is already out in Calgary. But uh, when it comes time to move uh, to make our move over to Korea, yeah, we're definitely gonna have to pack for a while because we'll be over there for over a month, I think.
1: Have you got your stuff yet? Have you got your. I mean, you both played for the national team, so you've had Canadian uniforms, but have they given you your Olympic stuff yet?
0: We've received
4: uh, an Olympic jersey when we were introduced uh, that we made the team, but that one's just to, you know, bring home and show our family. And we've been given some Olympic gear, but we definitely haven't received the whole package.
1: Sarah, I mean, as much as you've wanted to do this and as much as it's. You've made it there now. Is there still an element, though, that it's a little bit surreal that this is actually happening?
5: Yeah. I mean, I still, I don't even know if I believe it yet. I saw a commercial for the Olympics on TV the other day, and it was crazy just thinking that, you know, I'm going to be there um, in a month and a half or so. So it's definitely still surreal.
1: Renata, same with you. Like, are there moments when you kind of shake your head a little bit and try to wake up because it's not really real?
4: Definitely. Definitely definitely hasn't hit me yet Um, and I honestly don't think it'll hit me until I'm actually over in Korea Um, but yeah it's definitely surreal
1: it is uh, it is an amazing thing there have been as I say there have been local Hamilton Burlington women that have been on Canada's Olympic team before uh, but never more than one at one particular time and now there are three and before you go uh, I want to ask you both Sarah I'll start with you Mm -hmm. what is happening with women's hockey around here cuz something must be going on that we can be producing this kind of level of player all of a sudden in bulk. What's happening?
5: I think just the amount of girls playing um is increasing so so much even from when I left for college. Um there's just so much women's hockey. There's so many camps um and opportunities for people to be playing hockey and so I think that not only have they improved kind of the development of these girls as they're getting older? Um, I think just the sheer numbers is increasing, and I think it's awesome.
1: Renata, there are, and I, I, Sarah's point is well taken, but there are a lot of girls playing in a lot of places, and they're not pumping out the same number of Olympians as we are. Is there something, is it just the numbers, or is there something else going on too?
4: I think the numbers is a big thing, but I also think we have so many resources in our area, and we're so fortunate for that. Um, like Sarah said, the camps that are available, I think it's people giving back. In the community, for instance, when I was growing up, I attended Becky Keller's camp. Um, and, you know, to have these role models in our area, that helps increase the level of talent um, in the development. And I think that's a big part of it.
1: It is, uh, it is a remarkable story. It's a great story, and it is something that I know that everybody around here is going to be watching and be very proud of when... They keep flashing up the names, and it's like, oh, there's another Hamilton. Oh, there's Sarah Nurse from Hamilton. Oh, there's Laura from Hamilton. Oh, there's Renata from Burlington. It just goes on and on. And it's, uh, yeah, we haven't had that before, but uh, you guys, you've done an amazing job to make it there. And congratulations to both of you. I know that everybody around here is going to be cheering for you. So um, good luck going forward.
4: Thank, Thank, you. Thank you so much.
1: That is Renata Fast and Sarah Nurse, both local women who will both be playing for Canada in the Olympics. That is, as I say, That is, we have only one other sport that I can think of right now that has that kind of local impact, local involvement. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, In Olympics, especially in the Winter Olympics. And weirdly, because hockey at least makes some kind of sense. The only other sport where there's that much Hamilton, Burlington, bobsledding. we got a ton of men on our Olympic bobsled team. I have no idea how. Our... Hamilton Mountain, you can't even push down the hill and you're already out of track. This is not where you grow up being a bobsledder and yet, oh, and you know where else? Snowboarding. Snowboarding. Two of sports, bobsledding and snowboarding. How do you learn to do those things in Hamilton? And yet we have. Very strange. And hockey. You'll be hearing lots, lots more about Sarah and Renata and Laura in the days and weeks ahead. Certainly, I know you'll be following that.
0: The Scott Radley Show. The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.